You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. I don't like it. You don't? Oh. Oh. Well, how about Ocean Breeze Soap? It's just like taking an ocean cruise, only there's no boat and you don't actually go anywhere. Seems a bit long. Uh, Have you tried something simple like ocean breeze soap will get you clean? Huh? Wait a minute. Wait just a second. You mean just say what the product does? Oh, no one's ever tried that. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, it's nuts. We love it. Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. Uh, we're in the middle of looking at the various Muppet films. This time around, we're taking a look at the Muppets Take Manhattan, which is the last Muppet theatrical film uh, made when Jim Henson was alive. That is the last one, you know, starring the original Muppets uh, cast of Kermit the Frog, Fozzie Bear, Miss Piggy, and so on. This film was... Released in 84, directed by Frank Oz, written by Tom Patchett, Jay Tarses, and Frank Oz, with original songs by Jeff Moss and Ralph Burns. Um, this movie is rated G, and uh, yeah, that's about it for the stats on it, released in 84, <laughs> like I said. Uh, with that is Thrasher. Hello, everyone. It's great to be together again. Together again. Do-ba-do-ba-do. Get it together again. Right. And um, Muppets Take Manhattan. So, uh, oh, we have a website, sequelcast.com. Our theme song, as always, is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his stuff at markwithac.com. And uh, we have a few sponsors. If you go to sequelcast.com, we got an Amazon link on the side. We also got some Google ads. And, of course, we also uh, have Stitcher, where Stitcher is an app for your cell phone, iPhone computer laptop what have you and you download it and you can listen to podcast on the go or even right there in your computer streaming and if you can go to stitcher.com slash sequelcast to sign up not only do you get sequelcast added as a favorite show to listen to on there but you have a chance to win 100 american dollars so sign up at stitcher.com slash sequelcast plugging done buy my book buy my book no yeah no that's done uh (laughs) Muppets Take Manhattan, as we mentioned, is the last film in what some call the first Muppet trilogy. I guess you could call it like the Jim Henson Muppet trilogy. Uh, if you want to slap the label trilogy on any old thing, yeah, I, I don't think it's fair to call these a trilogy. No, no, they're not really that related. Um, although it does feel like they're trying to distinctly wrap things up. Uh, one thing I remember reading online as, as part of the deal... Uh, where uh, Jim Henson and the Muppet crew could make uh, more daring sort of dark fantasy films like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, they had to agree to make a third Muppet movie, which was Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, The director of this, Frank Oz, you know, had been a member of the Muppets for years, uh, voicing and puppeteering uh, like Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, um, so many other characters I can't think of. He did Yoda, right, in the Star Wars films. And... um, he was a co-director on The Dark Crystal, and Muppets Take Manhattan is the first time he directed something solo theatrically, and since then he's done such fantastic films as Little Shop of Horrors. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, recently, he did a, a British comedy called Death at a Funeral um, that was later remade with Chris Rocket and an all-black cast. Um, Tracy Morgan was in that. I think Donald Glover was as well. Yep. Friend yep. of the show, Donald Glover. Friend of the show, uh, Danny Glover. Donald Glover is the guy from Community. 
Okay. You're getting mistaken, but they have very similar names. Well, I uh, accept your apology, Matt. Also, the TV show uh, Muppet Babies was spun off Muppets Take Manhattan, and uh, I-, I guess let's go into where we saw this film first. Uh, but before we do, oh no, okay, we'll go into the film. <laughs> I-, I have some things I'll get to later in the show in the other segments. Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, this was, I think, the first live-action Muppet movie I ever saw, and my family had this videotaped on HBO, so we had kind of a shitty bootleg copy we watched over and over again for years. And so, uh, out of all the seven theatrical Muppet films, this is the one I've seen the most, the one I'm most familiar with. A- as I uh, rewatched it uh, for the show, my wife sat along because she likes the Muppets, and she hasn't seen some of the older films. And she had never, she had never seen this film before, and um, she thought it was surprisingly dark at points, uh, which I think is a neat point to make. Um, but it does feel like they're putting a bow on a certain kind of Muppet film uh, with the ending, with what they're trying to say, I think. Uh, when did you first see Muppets Take Manhattan, Thrasher? Uh, for me, it was probably in uh, 19, uh, 1985, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of in the, in the, the same boat as you. I had, uh, my family had a VHS copy of this movie that was just watched by me and my cousins constantly. We loved this movie. We we still quote this movie uh, to this day. That like any time, like the, the the part that always jumps out. We are still my family is still constantly quoting that line where everybody's talking at the diner and they're told to shut up and everyone shuts up except for Janet. And all you catch is and I told him I'm not taking my clothes off for anybody, even <laughs> if it is artistic. And that's just such a brilliant like that's such a brilliant New York line. It is. I, you know, when I think of Muppet Takes Manhattan, I think of uh, another uh, franchise of films we've done for Sequel Cast. And you can check out all those episodes either by searching Sequel Cast on iTunes or by going to SequelCast.com. And also be sure to check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. Uh, it reminds me a bit. I say Muppets Take Manhattan reminds me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And that really? it harkens back to the original Muppet movie, and The Great Muppet Caper was a kind of weird, stranger film in between the, the first and, and, and the third. And that you have a lot more cameos. The plot is basically the same. We're going to try and put on a show in the first one. They're going to try and get a movie made. Or that's what ends up happening at the end. That's not quite the goal in the beginning of the original. And um, the pace of this also, I, I found the pace of uh, Great Muppet Caper to be very austere, uh, a, a bit slower paced, a bit more more British perhaps, with its humor and sensibility. And Muppets Take Manhattan is rapid fire, it's madcap. It reminds me more of the zaniness of uh, not only the Muppet show, the TV series that was, I, I might have still been on the air, maybe not, I don't think so. No, it this was time. still on the air. Was it by 84? It must have been the last season then. Yeah, um, I, th- I, th- I think they had stopped production, but it was still in syndication. I see. Okay. So still pretty fresh in people's minds. Um, but yeah, I think it's a madcap uh, pace and, and uh, storyline that reminds me more of the Muppet movie than Great Muppet Caper. What say you? Uh, yeah, I, I guess because it is, it is, you know, about the, uh, it is about the, the hurdles that, Muppet Take Manhattan is about the hurdles that get in the way of of the creative process, uh, it's it's all about pursuing that creative dream and everything that throws up that is thrown up against you. Much like the original Muppet film was also about you know pursuing this creative goal, although the obstacles in that film were different. Uh, I, I suppose the obstacles in the first film were sort of you know Kermit could have sold out at any time, but he didn't. Uh, and in uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, the, you know the obstacles aren't uh, aren't that uh, Kermit people want Kermit to sell out. It's that no one wants to buy what Kermit is selling, no matter how good it is and how much he believes in it. It is worth mentioning with Muppets Take Manhattan, the songs were all written by Jeff Moss and the score is by Ralph Burns. Uh, Jeff Moss is from Sesame Street. He wrote such classic songs as Rubber Ducky, You're the One, You Make Bath Time, Lots of Fun. Squeak a squeak it. So, I mean. Was that last bit to protect us from a lawsuit? Uh, it's because I can't remember the lyrics, but sure, let's say it's to protect us from the lawsuit. It's in the context of a review, so we should be protected. Um, all right. Well, remember, there... fair use isn't a, isn't an actual legal principle. It's just a vague idea. 
Yeah, maybe there. Uh, yeah, that's a fun topic for the sequel cast. Let's talk about legal disclaimers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry for the tangent there, man. That's okay. It's a fair point. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. I, I think I found the music better than uh, Muppet Caper. Not quite as good as the original Muppet movie. I, I Especially, I was really surprised watching this uh, for the sequel cast. It's the first time I've sat down and watched this whole movie in about a decade. And uh, the beginning where it's just Kermit kind of doing a scat version, as Kermit is wont to do, of uh, the song Together Again uh, with the scenes of the New York uh, skyline uh, made me burst into tears, and that really surprised me. And I think it was well, because a- this was a film that I enjoyed so much as a kid that I hadn't seen in a long time, but I had it inadvertently memorized. And I was expecting him to break into song, but instead it was the innocent Kermit the Frog, nay, Jim Henson, you know, voicing the original Kermit, voicing Kermit the Frog. Kind of doing this very gentle, catchy melody that later becomes a, a, a song that's very central to the plot on many different levels. Well, you know what I what I like about that intro is that it's it's a completely straight intro. Nothing about it clues you in that you're about to start watching a Muppet movie. Uh, except for Kermit the Frog. really really recognize the voice though. Right. Like if if you brought someone into this like cold, if you didn't let them see what you were putting into your player, uh I have a hunch they would not know this was a Muppet movie until they finally saw Kermit on that graduation podium. That's true, and uh, it is a nice touch that at the beginning it's called Muppets Take Manhattan. You think, wow, at the beginning they're on Broadway, but they're not. They're just at like a community college theater graduation ceremony doing a song and dance number, and you get to see that same number done all spiffed up at the end Broadway style, uh, which is a real neat progression to see. Yeah, it is nice that that, that 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 together again is a is a theme that they keep uh, they keep running throughout the film, and it is something and it is something that happens throughout this film. The Muppets keep getting broken up and being brought back together for various reasons. Yeah, and in many ways that reminds me uh, when we get to it several weeks down the line uh, that the newer Muppet movie, simply called The Muppets, takes a lot of cues I think from Muppets Take Manhattan and about uh, the Muppets broken up trying to regroup. But at the beginning they're all friends. And uh, Kermit really doesn't want to, but he kind of gets convinced to go to the big city and they can sell their uh, college show to become a musical on uh, the Great White Way, Broadway. Now, um, And I yeah. love this film's... I, I talk, anytime we talk about a movie that's in New York, I, I always say this, but I really do feel this way. This is a great pre-Disneyfied, old-timey, dingy, dusty, diamond New York. Also pre-September 11th, and uh, it's worth noting, um, way before September 11th, uh, 2001. And I think, right, and you know, I mean, this movie might have been my first exposure to New York in a movie, and I did not get to go to New York City until I think it was like 2002 uh, or 2003, something like that, um, where it had been thoroughly Disney-fied. And, uh, yes, there are still things like Sardis, which you see in this film, and, I mean, that's like an icon in the theater district. But, right, it's not like you're going to get raped or mugged around every corner and things dangerous and dirty looking. Well, I mean, we, we just, it's its a great, like, I, I love that so many rats are characters in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. this is, this, this, in fact, may be the first appearance of Rizzo the Rat, who has since gone on to be, to be a classic Muppet, very often teamed up with Gonzo. I I love Rizzo the Rat. I love I love his attitude. I love his dialogue. I love that whole like bit where he breaks down. Me and my family, we live on tips, and it's just, <laughs> that's just such a great, true, honest, and human moment. Not only that, but uh, I mean, there's some real darkness in this film too. You look in the beginning where they try and pitch. They go to the first, uh, you know, one of the first uh, producers' offices they can find in Broad- in uh, Manhattan. And uh, the guy said, okay, we'll do the show, we'll do it, you just have to give me this starter fee. And it turns out they're trying to be swindled. He takes uh, Gonzo's uh, favorite chicken, Camilla, hostage, almost strangling it. And an animal oh, has to yeah. chase him down. Uh, uh, that's, all, that's a man. great scene. Just, just 
how threatening that they're willing to let that. And even he's not even like a villain. He's not like a major antagonist. Like no, Tom no. Or, He's just a crooked. He's just a crooked producer. But I love that they're willing to let him get that menacing. Right. I mean, there's parts that are scary. It's uh, and you have you have more cameos in this than you did in uh, Great Muppet Caper. You have Art Carney, James Coco, Dabney Coleman, Gregory Hines. Uh, I really like the the scene with Joan Rivers in Miss Piggy is classic. It's oh, is it the one in the uh, in the department store? In the department store. Uh, oh, Lord, yeah. We'll get into the plot in a minute, but there's a fantastic scene. Miss Piggy has a job, first day on the job working at a department store, and Joan she Rivers She's a perfume girl, isn't she? Uh, yeah, right. She's letting people, you know, walk in, try out perfumes, and trying to upsell them on the most expensive perfume possible. And uh, working besides her is Joan Rivers. And... Uh, Miss Piggy is down in the dump. She thinks uh, Kermit the Frog is cheating on her, among other things, and feels lonely. And Joan Rivers cheers her up by putting makeup on Miss Piggy, making her a, 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 a ghastly, overdone appearance. <laughs> with And not only do you get Miss Piggy screaming, which is a noise that drives me up the wall, but you get Joan Rivers screaming and laughing as well. It's a, it's a very chaotic scene. Well, that that scene is so funny and so... So it seems so spontaneous. I gotta believe that everything, like I gotta believe that a lot of that is improvised. It just seems to flow so mm-hmm. freely. And it's done, I think, in one or two takes. They probably just had a few cameras running at the same time. Which you'd have to, because once they start playing with that facial powder, the set or the, the location just gets screwed up. Not just the location, but the Muppet itself. Lipstick on felt and uh, lipstick on a pig. Lipstick on a right, yeah, very good. Lipstick on a pig, but I mean, I I've seen like uh, uh, bag ladies on the bus here in Portland, Oregon. You know, not look Do that tell. different from Miss Piggy with all that makeup. Uh, God, but I I love I, I love Miss Piggy so like ticked off at the beginning of that scene. I just love her whole sales pitch. Get your perfume. It's French. It's feminine. Put it on yourself. She can get with all those lousy, stinking, rotten, no good men. Yeah, it's uh, it's something very modern. I think that, you know, that's almost in a joke. They have jokes that play for kids and adults, and that's one of the more adult jokes. Another series of adult jokes in the movie is later on, Kermit the Frog uh, forgets who he is, and, um, you know, it ends up joining an ad agency also run by frogs. And uh, the slogans for this soap, some of them are just so bizarre, and the humor, I think, would very much go over a kid's head. I could see a kid getting restless during that scene. I I never got restless in that scene. I I did crack up with just how tortured the that what tortured slogans these ad executives would come up with, and that I'm very very cynical about advertising, and I think I I credit I credit about half of that to early exposure to Mad Magazine, and the other half of that to early exposure to this film. You know, like they're we're trying to come up with a slogan for Ocean Breeze soap, and like. Uh, ocean breeze soap. It's just like taking a cruise, except you don't have to go anywhere. It's just, <laughs> and they all have that like terrible, like phony, that that sophisticated New York accent that is only affected. No one actually naturally has that accent. I'm Gil. And this is Lil. And this is Phil. Hi, Phil. Well, also, it's also like people doing bad Kermit the Frog imitations. <laughs> well, that too. And they all look like Kermit, except they're blue. And Kermit the Frog himself is blue in that scene. He's sad. He his friends are nowhere to be seen. But we've hopped. Well, well, he's he's not sad. He's just become a New York phony because he he was hit by a cab, uh, got amnesia, and then kind of gets sucked into this this uh, advertising agency. Well, let's back things up again. So they go to New York. They pitch the musical. Uh, they end up with a crooked producer. They're kind of on the streets, kind of starving, and they go to a, a, a diner where rats work in the kitchen. And I um, love that diner. And they all decide to, uh, all of Kermit's friends, they decide the Muppets have to leave. And part of it is for economic reasons, part of it, uh, uh, my wife's theory is part of it is because Kermit the Frog is, is, be, is such an asshole and just kind of blows up at everyone and has this screaming moment at all his Muppet well, friends. Well, it's because he, he, he's been sort of treated, he's been treated as the de facto, as the creative focus for the group, he's been made its de facto leader. 
it's a it's a, a position and a responsibility that he doesn't want that he doesn't ask for it is just totally forced upon him and when you get that kind of thing forced upon you, you you do tend to look like a jerk whenever you sort of question wait a minute why is this all my responsibility all of a sudden hmm it's it's a position that i've been in several times and and it's you don't want to be that jackass but sometimes you do just have to say how did this become my responsibility Right, I mean, he, Kermit the Frog, among other things in that scene, is just overwhelmed. He's, uh, to borrow a line from Network, he's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. And uh, besides that, you know, they, they did the big dream, all, all gave up uh, a lot of money and time to go to Manhattan to pitch their show around town and nobody wants it and he feels like a failure. And uh, so, I mean, so so what's to do? So they all sort of split up in different directions. Miss Piggy goes on a train. A scooter goes to work in a movie theater in the Midwest. Uh, Gonzo goes with his chickens uh, off to a farm or something. It's, uh, well, no, no. They uh, Gonzo becomes a uh, a professional daredevil like Evil Knievel, and he right. does uh, he does water ski jumping stunts with Camilla and her chickens. Where it's like, I will, I look, I will jump seventeen flaming barrels while Camilla and her chickens sing the William Tell Overture, and there's just this brilliant, but like with eighteen chickens singing that all at once, it sounds gorgeous. Well, and I like how the guy driving the jet ski is a man in a giant chicken suit, who seems like he just wants to get his shift over with and doesn't care. Yeah, I like that he's not a puppet; he's a guy in a suit. He's a guy in a suit, and. uh... Speaking of people in suits to resemble Muppets, uh, there's a, a big plot line about Kermit and Miss Piggy, and Miss Piggy wants to get married to Kermit, and uh, when she brings it up when they're at the community college graduation, he could say, well, we got to sell the show first, and then we'll get married, uh, which is a very, uh, if from my experience at least, you know, if uh, in a relationship, if one person wants to get married in a uh, uh, a male-female relationship. Usually, it's the woman that wants to get married first, and um, the guy needs to be needs a little push or something. Won't he'll try to delay it as long as possible. And that, and that was something I related to a lot. I think. Well, I one thing that I that, at least that I that I picked up on this film. I don't uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy. They're in a relationship with each other, but I think both of them thinks that they're in a completely different relationship than the other one thinks that they're in. Yeah, right. I think Kermit sees Miss Piggy as a best friend and Miss Piggy sees Kermit as the love of her life. And that tension uh and and that and that's and that's why, you know, Kermit like Kermit is outright you can tell is outright shocked at the end when Miss Piggy has replaced oh, yeah. Gonzo in the in the uh, of the show with an actual priest. Which which makes Miss Piggy look pretty damn crazy because it basically means she's willing to trick Kermit into marrying her. Well, Miss Piggy comes off as physically abusive. She's certainly verbally abusive <laughs> towards Kermit. I mean, she, she's a real tough gal. She, uh, you know, she acts like she goes in a train, but uh, she must just like stay on the train and ride it back to catch the next train back into town and spies on Kermit. And uh, since Kermit is all alone, one of his only friends is uh, Jenny, the daughter of uh, Pete, the owner of the deli, who uh, gives him all this sort of advice and helps him, you know, try and work in his show and helps him find peoples is peoples. a producer. Is, yeah. is rats, is bears, is pigs and frogs, is peoples. Good advice. Yeah, Pete played by Louis uh, Zorick. And I think his accent, while sounding very authentic, is so thick it's often very difficult to make out. I, don't, I think that only makes it more authentic. Oh, it does. But it, it'll take a few watches before you get everything he's saying, and then the humor takes a few times uh, for me to get. Jenny is played by Julia Donald, and um, yeah, she she's okay. I don't think there's really much to the part, but she's sort of, you know, their relationship I don't think is ever meant to be romantic, but Miss Piggy keeps on construing it as, you know, they hug each other, they might share a peck on the cheek or something, but it's, it's not sexual, but Miss Piggy uh, sure thinks it is. And she gets, she starts, uh, she spies on him from a construction site and starts whacking on things. 
Oh yeah, her, her rage is hilarious. And uh, there's a really great scene in Central Park where Miss Piggy uh, borrows the rollerblades of Gregory Hines, and you get another wacky well, scene. When you say borrow, I say steal. Steal, probably steal is more like it. And uh, it's just so weird. She goes and it's a human in a life-size puppet suit rollerblading, but it's not quite as off-putting as Miss Piggy on a motorcycle. And, uh, well, you got to remember what hap- what happens is that while Miss Piggy is is spying on Kermit, uh, a, a a purse snatcher comes and of course snatches her purse. So that throws Miss Piggy into a rage as she pursues him, and that is a thrilling chase sequence. It's technically impressive. It's amazingly well shot. Uh, it builds up a lot of tension. I and I, I also just love that saxophone riff that plays throughout the whole thing. No, the music is really intense. You get a lot of, like, first-person shots all through Central Park. You hear Miss Piggy's screaming. Her eyes, uh, for that scene, she has a really furious set of eyes. Oh, they're terrifying. Yeah, and it's just the high-pitched squealing. And then you and get all a- they do is, like, kind of, like, tilt the eyes, like, about maybe 15 to 20 degrees, but it's terrifying. No, it doesn't take much. And you, you get the great scene where Gregory Hines goes back, is kind of caught in the middle in this lover's quarrel between Kermit and Miss Piggy, and Kermit and Miss Piggy are trying to suss out where their relationship stands, uh, which is always a very difficult uh, uh, conversation to have in real life, in my experiences. Yeah. And in the, the middle of all this, you know, Gregory Hines is like, oh, you gave her the huggies? Oh, that's really bad. And he, he's trying to be a friend to both, but kind of sort of gives up after a point. Well, it, the way I always perceive that scene is that Gregory Hines is actually trying to become Miss Piggy's rebound, which is why he yeah, seems to yeah. always be leaning in her favor. And he's wearing these really short shorts that just look kind of ridiculous. And uh, listeners to the show might not recognize Gregory Hines. Um, he was in a they lot of movies in the 80s and 90s. He died, I think, in his mid-40s or early 50s. He was really young when he died. Uh I'm, I I think he's him, in the not quite classic uh, Eve of Destruction. Uh, he's in a he was in a buddy cop movie with uh, Billy Crystal, Scared Straight. I think no, Running Scared. Oh, he's in History of the World Part One with Mel Brooks. Oh yeah, yep. And originally that part in History of the World was supposed to be played by Richard Pryor, but Richard Pryor just got in the uh, at the time got into the accident where he was uh, smoking a. Uh, cocaine and his uh, crack pipe blew up in his face well when you're Richard Pryor though that's an occupational hazard sadly yes yep so so I mean while pound for pound uh, movie star cameos aren't as gigantic as what you saw in the first Muppet movie I think there's a lot more of them they're pretty well paced it's uh it's nice to see more cameos from recognizable stars I think in this than in uh, Great Muppet Caper. This one's more cameo-focused. They eat at Sardi's, which is a restaurant I've eaten at. Have you, Thrasher? Uh, no, I have not, but it, it's uh, it's a restaurant with a lot of history on Broadway. It was kind of a hangout for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Broadway stars and a couple of other actors. Uh, it's... I I don't know. Does, does anyone besides theater and film nerds out there, out there and listeners... Uh, is there anyone besides us theater and film nerds that 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 knows Sardis that would recognize that reference? Probably not. I mean, if you saw the Mel Brooks, uh, the new version, you know, the the musical movie he did with Matthew Broderick of the producers, in the song "I Want to Be a Producer," you know, it's like "I want to be a producer, eat it, okay, a lunch at Sardis, lunch at Sardis every day." And I mean, Sardi's, uh, at the time, was actually right next to the theater that was playing the producers on Broadway. Um, so that's sort of funny. But no, I, mean, I think still like a lot of like highfalutin producers and stuff eat there. The, I remember I, all I had was an appetizer of six shrimp on a plate with uh, some, fancy, uh, some fancy cream sauce. 30-something dollars. But part of that's New York City. <laughs> it's, it's really expensive if you eat at... At the wrong places, I guess. But the the thing about Sardi's is the Giuliani. thing about Sardi's is the atmosphere. You walk in there, and all around the walls, and you see this in this film too, are framed caricatures by Al Hirschfeld of various celebrities, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing to see. And Al Hirschfeld uh, is a very famous. Uh, was it New Yorker? He did his illustrations for. 
Uh, well, he did. He did. Um, he did do lots of illustrations for interviews in the New Yorker. Uh, but he was just a, a top, you know, a top caricature. A lot of his work he was did. also on Playbills for Broadway shows as well. Yeah, he, I believe. I believe he also did some uh, for Playboy magazine as well. Right, but what it is, it's sort of like a very lo- a caricature that's not overly detailed. It's sort of minimalist, but it still gets across. Uh, what the person looks like. And uh, in every single one of his uh, caricatures, he includes the name of his daughter somewhere, and they're hidden. And uh, it's just really fascinating artwork. I'll have to post some of it on the Facebook page. But um, you get Liza Minnelli in there in the scene in Muppets Take Manhattan, which is pretty amusing. Yeah, as herself, I guess. <laughs> well, this would have been after the movie she did Arthur with Dudley Moore, which was a huge hit at the time. Well, she'd also been uh, been on and off Broadway most of her life, I believe. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, even recently, uh, apparently, uh, this sounds unbelievable, but it is true. Uh, MTV made a deal with Liza Minnelli to do a reality show about Liza Minnelli, uh, even though she's much older than the MTV demographic. And um, they produced a few episodes of the show, and then MTV decided not to pick it up. So Liza Minnelli and her production company decided to sue MTV. Um and I'm not sure what a Liza Minnelli reality show would be. Would it be her waking up in the morning, having pills for breakfast, uh, drinking a bottle of wine, having pills for lunch, and uh, tap dancing herself to sleep? I don't know. Well, we can only hope that it would be like those Christian Wig, uh, Kristen Wig, uh, Liza Minnelli sketches on SNL. Although, if we can talk about, uh, oh, the thing is, Liza Minnelli does, though she still has it. Check her out on Arrested Development, uh, uh, but. I love I love that scene. Like I I love the idea that they're going to go in to talk up their own project and make people think, make influential people think that it's in high demand. Like I I love that I love that kind of yeah. sneaky way of selling your product. Right. I mean, you know, it's before the Muppets Take Manhattan, as well as most of these Muppet movies. Frankly, was like before the internet even existed or really took off. And so you didn't have things like Twitter, blogs, Facebook, all these things. But so, I mean, it's literal word of mouth. But then it's the great reveal. It's rats everywhere. And people what? start yeah, screaming. Cause, yeah, because they, because what, cause what it's, it's Kermit, like, in a suit standing on the shoulders of some of the rats. Or no, the rats were going under the tables to, to whisper, oh, why, why, did you hear that Kermit the Frog has this amazing script? Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual formats to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play! Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and Editor-in-Chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff. Over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Legendary producer. Oh God, I love, I love, I love Kermit's disguise, the fake mustache, the giant coat, the ridiculous hat. It is, but I mean, it works. Uh, it works great. They they take off that again in the Muppets uh, 2011 film, which we'll talk about in a month or so uh, on the sequel cast. Stay tuned. Sequelcast.com. Look up Sequelcast on iTunes. Buy my book. Okay, I don't have a book <laughs> yet. Um, We'll right. just sample that Jay Sherman line and insert it into a <laughs> into the show. Boy, howdy! I hope so. Um, with Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, it's really great scene, and the Muppets all reunite after they're separated. I think that's a real moving moment. Except when they come back into town, ironically, uh, Kermit, who was supposed to meet uh, just going on a stroll, gets hit by a taxi cab, loses his memory, grows a thin mustache and signs up with the advertising agency run by frogs. It's kind of by accident. And um, he becomes a different person. And I imagine, like, for me as a kid, this was crushing. Oh, my God, Kermit the Frog got hit by a car? Is he dead? Is he, is he, is he going to be able to get to his friends in time and learn his lines to do his own show before opening night? Because they can't find a replacement, even though it's Broadway and there's a gazillion actors living in, in New York City. Not many frog actors, though. No, not many. It would have been nice to see Dom DeLuise dressed up as Kermit the Frog, <laughs> insisting he could replace... I'm going to play Kermit! Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> but uh, but speaking of the, when the Muppets were separated, I love the gag of Ralph the dog running a dog kennel, and all the dogs are Muppets except for a little Sharpay puppy 
that a, yeah. an old man takes in. And uh, you might think that's an exaggeration, but it's not. I, I've been to a lot of dog kennels. I've, at Portland, uh, Oregon, where I live, is a very dog-friendly city. So you see some bizarre things. I, and I'm not making this up. I was taking my dog, uh, Starbuck, a toy Labradoodle. You want to talk about frou-frou dogs? I took my dog on a walk. The neighbor across the corner was sunbathing because it's ironic. Uh, it's uh, sunny in Portland, which it usually is not. Sunbathing. How naked? Not not naked, just with a sort of a, a tank top on and short shorty shorts. And uh, next to her sunbathing was her pet guinea pig. I'm not joking. <laughs> not in a leash, laying in her front yard, not on a chair. Her pet guinea pig. And I, and I walked by, and my dog was approaching the guinea pig, and the guinea pig didn't flinch. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's my guinea pig. It looked like a tuft of hair lying on the grass. Well, was, guinea pigs are pretty docile creatures. It was ridiculous. Oh, but actually, if we can talk a bit about uh, Kermit losing his memory, uh, two things. One, that's some awesome physical comedy when Kermit's in the hospital and the doctor is, like, testing his reflexes and just kind of, like, <laughs> playing around yeah. with, with Muppet anatomy. I thought that was great. Yeah, there's something they do with his face that looks really disturbing to me. <laughs> The face kind of collapses at a few points. Well, and, uh, they do that, and they do that thing where, like, he's tw- now. Let me know if there's any discomfort. He just starts twisting Kermit's arm and gets about five <laughs> rotations in, and yeah. Kermit keeps getting this more pained expression <laughs> on his face. Well, you know, the way Kermit looks and acts in that scene is how I felt uh, every time I've been to a chiropractor. I've only been to one a few times. I have a lot of um, lower back pain and that sort of thing, and so every five years or so, I thought maybe a chiropractor would help. Instead, I come out of the, the appointment feeling violated and more sore than I was before. See, I don't go to a chiropractor for that kind of thing. I just drink a lot. That helps, too. I mean, I really like uh, masseuses, though. A good masseuse is, is priceless. Deep tissue massage, fantastic. Oh, but the other thing, you mentioned, like, like seeing this as a kid and being kind of, like, crushed and disturbed yeah. when uh, Kermit loses his memory. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, my my parents have a lot of friends, and the one problem is when you're a kid and your parents have friends and those mm. friends have kids, everyone involved seems to assume that you will by default be friends. That yes, is not the case. Right. Uh, but 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 I so like there's lots of people that I for all intents and purposes grew up with, but that I didn't really like or connect with, and through no fault of their own. Right. But there was one sure. of them who. Who was uh, like who was sort of obsessed with Kermit losing his like memory? Like, well, he was he was concerned that he was going to lose his memory too. Like he was very <laughs> paranoid about hits yeah, right. on the head and like hypnotists and things because sure. he didn't want to get, as he used to say, anamnesia. Okay, anamnesia. Right. Is that it? Just just a cute little kid pronunciation. Oh, okay. Like what Angelica does on uh, Rugrats. What? what? Like oh, Angelica yeah, does on Rugrats, Rugrats, the blonde yeah. girl. Says, I want my Pischetti. I'm a bitch. That's a whole character. <laughs> Not on that, well, hey, anything. you know what? Maybe uh, maybe eventually uh, a hustler will do one of their This Ain't Pornos. They'll do This Ain't Rugrats. And they'll get some hot, stacked oh, blonde chick to play Angelica. But she'll she'll say things all funny. She'll say Pagina, for instance. <laughs> Well, we should start wrapping up our discussion of Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, <laughs> I, I love how when they put on the show, they tie together that as the Muppets have been scattered across the United States, they've made friends with other Muppets that are in their natural habitat, whether it's uh, Fozzie the Bear with a bunch of bears in a cave. Oh, I love that. And I love I love that one of the bears is clearly like has feelings for him and is mm-hmm. trying to like trying to push him into a relationship he's not prepared for and, and he's and he's really nervous because she's kind of coming on pretty strong well well we can just snuggle right and that Fozzie the bear has a pet teddy bear himself that he hugs is very touching i think well i love i love that, that Fozzie bear just isn't a isn't a natural bear like i love that he's just like <laughs> he, he he's he's a bear that needs civilization he can't live in a cave in the woods like regular bears the, my favorite thing Fozzie ever says, and he always says it in the movies and the show, and I, I can't imitate him, but he's like, Kermit! The way he Kermit! Stre- right, the way he stretches that out is just... Uh, Kermit! Cracks me up every time. 
Um, oh, but then they take thing. a zillion Muppet characters, even ones that are outside, that are, you know, more of a natural habitat thing, and combine them for the big show-stopping version of uh, the, the main number. It is really clever. And if you notice, even the lyrics change. Um, when they pitch the, the musical around town, I believe the lyric is, isn't it like, look at me, here I am, and does it change to look at us, here we are? Yeah, it's look at me, here I am, right where I belong, and it's look at us, here we are, yeah. And which is underlining a theme of the movie in that friends are important, and you need your friends to get further in life and have healthy relationships. I don't know. Yeah, oh, but if we could touch for a minute on like yeah. what the other what the other Muppets are doing, because you mentioned like Scooter's working at the movie theater, but I love that that uh, that Floyd, the boomerang fish guy, is also working in the theater where it's like a three D movie about like piranhas, and like that's his <laughs> job in the theater. Is in all the three D scenes, he throws his boomerang fish at the audience. Can you imagine if Jim Henson was still alive today? what he would have done with, like, modern digital cinema, CG, and 3D. Like, I recall when I was a kid, and we'll talk about uh, the death of Jim Henson in the uh, Muppet Christmas Carol episode next week, but uh, at MGM Studios, I don't know if it's still there, but they they have a Muppet 3D experience uh, sort of thing. And Jim Henson, I think, was still alive when that was produced, and it had a, a CG, it had a CG Muppet character and had 3D stuff. But I'm thinking, with what technology is capable of now, if Jim Henson was still alive, what he would have worked on? I think he would have tried some really serious, like really dark stuff, kind of. Uh, yeah. Well, he well he always wanted to stretch what what puppetry could do. But mm-hmm. uh, the 3D Muppet you're talking about, his name is Waldo, which is a reference to the the the, the machine, the Waldo, which is in itself named after a reference to a Robert Heinlein novel called Waldo's World about a man who invents these gloves that you can move the gloves and it operates machinery. Like, that's what a Waldo is. But you, you mentioned what Jim Henson would have done. This, are you willing to take a long aside? Let's, uh, let's table it for the top of the Muppet Christmas Carol episode. Oh, okay, but um, uh, just, 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 to, just to whet your appetites... Jim Henson predicted what the internet is today in an unaired pilot that he did, but I'll talk about that later. Okay, I'll take a note of that so I don't forget. Jim Henson predicted the internet and was a Scientologist. Very good. That's not true. The latter, not the former. No, nothing you've said this entire podcast has been true. When you said hello, you were lying. When I say hello, hello, I mean goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> Mama Take Manhattan. Uh, I, I think it's a great film. It holds up. I, I think uh, it, uh, yeah, maybe for nostalgic reasons, I might like this the most out of the original three Muppet films. And um, it just has a lot of great dynamic between the Muppet characters. It feels like they're really hitting full stride. Hey, this is a movie. Hey, we're going to do a lot of crazy shot we're going to do a lot of muppet singing and dancing this is more it returns to a more sketch uh form of the plot as instead of being more plot focused as a uh, great muppet caper was so i enjoy this film i'd recommend no, I do it too and i think i think my my favorite song in this has got to be the dr teeth song you can't take no for an answer which is just about like you know, persevering mm. despite rejection. I, I love that song, and I love the images they come up with for it. You can't take no for an answer. No, 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 no. No, no, no! All right. Uh, so, speaking of terrible imitations, time to go to our brand new segment, Sequel Cast Theater, in which Thrasher and I uh, each perform... In this, we'll, we'll do a spin on it this time. We perform a different scene from the movie we're talking about, in this case, Muppets Take Manhattan, and uh, you get to vote, the listener, on which one is better. And we have it also up as a YouTube video and so forth, so you can check all that out at YouTube.com uh, and just search SequelCast. And, uh, but first, I want to report the results of uh, the SequelCast theater for the, the Muppet movie, the yes. first one we did. Uh, so we got two votes in, uh, one from listener Stephen Jones and one from his wife, whose name I can't recall at the moment, with my internet's a bit on the fritz. And uh, both of them said that Thrasher was superior to me, Matt, because Thrasher did a much better Miss Piggy and uh, a fantastic Orson Welles, but they thought I did a better Kermit the Frog than you did. And I, you su- I graciously accept. And you suggested that we should do a Kermit off at some point. 
Yes, we should. Uh, we should record a single doing dueling verses of Rainbow Connection and just lay a karaoke instrumental track underneath it. Either that or just pull memorable film lines from all sorts of different movies, but do them as Kermit. Mm, that's uh, something to think about. Luke, I am your father. You have failed me for the last time. <laughs> that sounded like Danny the Dragon for a minute. It's not much of a difference between the two. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, I, one day we'll have to do a bonus episode where we just explain all of our in-jokes. <laughs> That'd be a sequel cast special, huh? The in-jokes? The in-joke <laughs> cast, yes. It'll get less listeners than the two Jakes. <laughs> so the sequel cast... Um, so, so, the, the, so the sequel theater, cast which... theater, I'm going to start with the scene. Uh, my scene is one from uh, the end of the film where Fozzie is talking to Kermit, trying to, you know, figure out how they're going to put on this show. So uh, I'll begin. Uh, this is Matt, my entry for sequel cast theater. Hey, Kermit, can't our friends watch their show from backstage? What? No, no, they cannot watch the show from backstage. That's it. That's what's been missing from the show. That's what we need. More frogs and dogs and bears and chickens and whatever. You're not going to watch the show. You're going to be in the show. Come on, everyone. So uh, that's uh, my entry for Sequel Cast Theater from up at Stake Manhattan. Uh, Thrasher, why don't you talk a second about your scene and then do it. Uh, alrighty, my scene is going to be um, uh, almost immediately after the chase scene where Miss Piggy uh, beats up the, the purse snatcher and gets her purse back and... Kermit the Frog and Gregory Hines are there, so this is going to be the three of them, so... <coughs> Can I get my skates back, please? Hey, 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 wait a second. How did you know about that taupe? None of your beeswax! Hey, have you been spying on me? Uh, I'll unlace them while you fight. It's no trouble. P Piggy, have you been spying on me? Maybe spying on Vu's is that certain young girl of the opposite gender. You two-timing her? No, that's just Jenny. She's a friend. She's a friend and she's been trying to help me sell the show. Ha! <laughs> He's gotta sell the show. What show? Well, if she's just a friend, then what about the Huggies? What? You gave Jenny the Huggies? You know, maybe, maybe, Carmen, maybe it would have been better if we had never met. Then you and Jenny would not be tormented by my presence. Oh, gee. See what the huggers will get you? Very good. So you can uh, place your vote. Who do you think was better, Matt or Thrasher, at uh, facebook.com slash sequelcast, or look it up on the YouTube channel for Sequelcast Theater and the Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, now we move into another segment of the show, Pitch a Sequel, in which we pretend none of the sequels after the movie we're talking about, this case Muppets Take Manhattan, ever existed. And we come up with an idea for a sequel. I'll begin. So Muppet Takes Manhattan, you know, it kind of ties a neat bow, bow on the thing. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy are married. What happens next? I think uh, the natural thing to do is um, do uh, make sort of a documentary about Jim Henson coming up with the Muppets, but you would also interview the Muppets, and they'd keep on disagreeing that they were created by someone called Jim Henson. It would be sort of like uh, being John Malkovich meets Jim Henson meets the Muppets. Very surreal. You Very just strange. about described the Jim Henson Memorial Muppet Show special. Oh, okay. Uh, Thrasher. All right. So, uh, so as 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 we explained, the uh, the various Muppet movies are movies the Muppets have made. So, if I was going to do a sequel, a direct sequel to the Muppets Take Manhattan, it would be the Muppets Take Hollywood, where it's all about the struggles of them trying to do a big movie Busby Berkeley kind of mega movie musical based on their hit Broadway show. And it's all about these people with a hit Broadway show being going to Hollywood to make the big cinematic version and all the creative compromises that the Hollywood system keeps trying to get them to make and all the tension that starts to build as like, you know, Miss Piggy starts to become a star and starts getting competing offers from other studios. And there'll be, there'll be like a crooked uh, film studio executive. There might be a kind of thing where they're trying to use, like where they expect the Muppet movie musical to be a complete bomb. So he's, he's kind of doing a producer thing where he's going to try to use the movie to embezzle money. Uh, and it'll be a whole, you know, big thing. And it'll, it'll end with them pulling off the 
puppet music, the Muppet musical number to end all Muppet musical numbers. We're talking hundreds of Muppets. We're talking swimming pools and divers and like and just like anything that's ever been in a musical number in a movie, they would do all at once. Hmm. There's yeah. There's a lot you can go with that. Uh, sort of a, a literal sequel, as it were, to Muppets Take Manhattan. Indeed. I like it. Uh, so we'll uh, do our final special segment on the sequel cast with uh, something called What You're Watching. But um, before that, I want to do a quick update. So on Twitter, you know, I'll talk to people about Muppet stuff. And I was talking to the mayor of Portland, Sam Adams, who also has a, a cameo role on the show Portlandia asking him what his favorite Muppet, Muppet movie was, and I was shocked to find that he responded. He was in the middle of a finance meeting and was bored, he also said. Uh, <laughs> so, That's Portland for you. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Mayor of Portland, Sam Adams, said his favorite Muppet movie was The Great Muppet Caper, and I followed that. I did a pitch to follow-up to him. I said, so if your favorite is Muppet Caper, what hotel in Portland would you consider the Happiness Hotel? <laughs> and he responded... If I respond to that, there's going to be a lawsuit. So, <laughs> an honest answer, right? And um, so, th- thanks to Mayor Sam Adams for that opinion. And um, yeah, I also want to give a thanks again to smbmovie.com, our uh, Super Mario Brothers special uh, episode we did for sequel cast special and sequel commentary episode have been doing very well in the downloads. It's been some of our most downloaded shows over the past six months. Excellent. Uh, even beating out stuff like Lethal Weapon. Um, I, I listened to the uh, the commentary the other day. Actually, I, I, I enjoyed hearing my own voice. I, I did too, and I listened to it without watching the film, which is very strange. <laughs> Not the recommended way to do that. And uh, one more thing before we go into what you're watching. Uh, I've been doing some programming stuff behind the scenes. I want to give a shout-out to Ryan Gallagher, who he uh, hosts uh, a number of podcasts uh, under uh, Hyperbolic Labs, and you can check that out at hyperboliclabs.tv. But he uh, does one specifically called the Criterion Cast, and he does a, a tech one called The Backlot. Anyway, on Twitter, he was giving me a lot of website advice for SequelCast. And so now, if you look up SequelCast on iTunes, we're listed under four different things. There's a SequelCast Master Feed, where if you subscribe to that, you get all of our three shows, and then there's individual seeds, feeds, respectively, for sequel cast, sequel commentary, and sequel cast specials. So if you just want to subscribe to one and don't care about the others, you can do that as well. So I'm hoping that also increases downloads. So it's a bit of work that's pretty cool. And if you go to facebook.com slash sequelcast, I posted a big fact detailing all the tech stuff about it in case anyone's interested. Very cool. So, on to what you're watching, which we talk about a piece of media, be it film, video game, uh, music, whatever, that we've been watching and enjoying. Um, I'll begin. I'm still working my way through the novel of The Godfather, which was the basis for the movie. And uh, a little bit more than halfway through it. It's really good. You know, the overall plot's the same, goes into a lot more details. I'm just at the point now where it goes into some stuff that I guess was referred to in Godfather 2, where it's about the origins of Michael Corley, or... uh, Don Corleone, is that Michael? No. What's the name of the Vito Corleone? Is that Marlon Brando's character? Ah, uh, I thought it was Nat King Corleone. Nat King Corleone, okay. Cool. Nat King Coolio, that's right. Um, it's the anyway the all the Robert De Niro stuff from uh, Godfather Two. I'm at that part in the book of The Godfather, and it's really interesting to see the differences. Goes into a lot more details, adds a lot more characters, including a subplot about a woman that needs her vagina uh, operated on so it's that much tighter. No, I'm not making that up. The novel is, uh, uh, shall we say, a fair bit more tawdry than uh, the film. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, Godfather, on this, your daughter's wedding, would you please help me make someone's vagina tighter? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what I can do about that, but uh, let me tell you something. Your, your, uh, it should be, should be tight like a fist, uh, so see what I can do. Boy, I tell you. Oh. That's a terrible uh, Marlon Brando as the Godfather impersonation by Matt. Okay. Thrasher, what have you been <laughs> watching? Okay, well, I haven't... Uh, well, I actually just got back from uh, Fourth of July, uh, for, you know, a vacation uh, with my family at the Outer Banks. Um, 
all I watched during that time is I, I, I rewatched some of my favorite episodes of the IT crowd, but what I've really been into is I've been reading uh, Swords Against Wizardry, which is the fourth uh, fourth book in the saga of Fafford and the Grey Mauser, which is the series of uh, sword and sorcery stories uh, written by uh, Fritz Lieber. These books are great. They're just about two greedy, fun-loving scoundrels with the slight, with like a slightest bit of a heroic streak. Um, trying to basically uh, er getting easy money uh, through daring do and then losing it just as quickly. These books are great and they are tremendously influential on uh, on modern gaming. Fascinating. Um, now, is this a series of books that they've reprinted, or you just went to a used bookstore? Uh, they, I, I got all mine in the used bookstore. I, I've got almost a complete series. Uh, the first three novels were reprinted uh, a few years ago as one big hardcover called The Three mm. of Swords. Okay. And then all the ones after that I have are old paperbacks from the 70s and 80s. Gotcha. Pretty cool. All right. The, these stories are, gen are are kind of constantly in print. They're just hard to find. Right. That can. But they're they're really great. That can often be the case. And speaking of hard to find, you know, you and I watch these movies along with us. Uh, they're pretty tough to track down, surprisingly, these Muppet movies. Um, part of that reason is rights issues. Uh, the Muppets, are, you know, now are owned um, by Disney, which is something apparently Jim Henson was trying to do uh, later in his life, but never pulled it off. And um, because of that, Disney owns the rights to all the Muppet stuff, but just a lot of it hasn't been re-released. The entire Muppet show, uh, the five-season TV series that where the Muppets really became well-known from, uh, only three seasons out of those five have been released on DVD, and uh, what has been released has been um, censored in some form due to rights issues. But two of the Muppet films, the rights are owned by Sony. Those ones are Muppets Take Manhattan and Muppets in Space. So try and figure that out. Very strange. Well, another complicated thing with the the Muppet sh with the uh, the the Muppet Show. They did a lot of they did a lot of uh, musical. They used a lot of music, a lot of which you know is of course copyrighted. But also, they actually made different cuts of the show with extra sketches for European television. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, they did. Like uh, they did. Like the, the the Muppets doing "Lovely Bunch of Coconuts" was done for the, for the European version. Also, there's an episode where they do the Ying Tong song, which is from uh, from the Goon Show. Which is a great song, but it does not make like it does not make a goddamn bit of sense unless you know Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe and Peter Sellers. That's really Which, cool. Which, by the way, the Muppet Show with Spike Milligan quite good. Oh, hmm, pretty cool. Uh, so with um, yeah, with all this stuff, it's really neat to see uh the changes over these Muppet movies. So if you tune in next week, uh, uh, sequelcast.com, or just look us up on iTunes, just search sequelcast, we'll be covering uh, the next Muppet movie, The Muppet Christmas Carol, which came a full eight years after the release of uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, and a full two years after the death of Jim Henson. So for the sequelcast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Same... Together again. No for an answer. No, 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 no. Sorry to cut you off there. What were you? I was gonna do together again. Sometimes it's saying goodbye. We didn't. Okay, we didn't even mention the Muppet Babies thing, which is a little scene in this film. Oh yeah, where yeah. it's Muppet versions of what would later become a Muppet Babies cartoon, and uh, yeah, they they did a segment where where Kermit and Piggy are riding a horse around Central Park, or riding a horse drawn Carter on Central Park, and and Miss Piggy kind of makes an offhanded remark about about I, what it would be like if they had been kids together, if they'd known each other back then, and then it's a really cute musical number with with baby versions of the Muppets singing about what they want to be when they grow up, and. Uh, it really is very well done, but it, it struck such a chord it was developed into the Muppet Babies. And, you know, Muppet Babies will never be released on DVD, I think, because of rights issues. They often use clips from other films like Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, among other things, so... Well, yeah, that's, I, that's, 
one of those things that just wouldn't happen today. Just like Jim Henson had such a decent relationship with some pretty influential people that he was able to pull that off. I can't imagine anyone today with with that kind of creative cachet that they could, well, I'm doing a children's animated series. Can I use clips from your blockbusters? Well, keep in mind George Lucas was a producer on Labyrinth and might have been a producer in Dark Crystal. I'm not sure about the latter. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he, he you know worked with Frank Oz sure, in sure. Jim Henson Creature Shop as well. So, I mean, of course, there's a reason why that relationship exists. Yep. But it's, it's a relationship that I don't think anyone in in Hollywood has right now. Sure. Uh, all right, great. Well, let's... Uh, so, uh, yeah, tune in SequelCast.com and look, stay tuned next week for sequel, uh, SequelCast on Muppets Take a uh, Christmas Carol. Muppets Take a Christmas Carol. Yeah, Muppets Take a Christmas Carol. Bye. Bye.